You're listening to a podcast brought to you by international law firm Trowers and Hamlins, combining market sector thought leadership, advice, and ideas, helping businesses and governments prepare for the future. Hi, I'm Sarah Bailey, I'm head of real estate at Trowers and Hamlins, and I'm delighted to welcome you to another one of our Building Beyond the Lockdown series. Today, we've got Patricia Brown, director of Central, speaking about London 3.0. Hi, hi, Pat. Hi, Sarah. So, Pat, um, obviously London 3.0 was was seriously important prior to COVID and lockdown, but do you think it's even more important now than ever it was ever before? Absolutely, Sarah. The point of London 3.0 from the outset has been to reflect on London and what it what is the positives and the negatives of this change over the past 20 odd years or so while we've been thinking actively and rather differently about planning for a city for people. And in that reflection, consider what we need to do now differently that creates a city that is fit for purpose in the 21st century, and one that will enable people to live a life well in London, which means drilling down and joining the dots on the different elements to make that happen. It's transport, it's planning, housing, the way we use technology and how we innovate, our cultural life and our retail sector, etc. And one of the issues that we were particularly keen to respond to in creating London 3.0 was addressing the disparity of our city. London is an unequal society and lockdown and COVID has really revealed just how deep that is. People's experience of lockdown, as you know, is very different. Many people are living in very cramped conditions with lack of access to outdoor space or living in areas of public space deficit, which is not helping with social distancing or their quality of life. The disease is revealing poor health outcomes and disparities of our population right across London. So the pandemic has helped shine a spotlight on the social problems and the inequalities that many of us have started to spot and known about for quite some time. And this is helping people to understand that while London is a successful, fabulous world city, it's also an unequal one. Therefore, we all need to pull together to plan our way out of this in a way that ensures we have a just and sustainable recovery. Yes, and I think I think what's for me what's been really interesting is it is that inequality. It's the the diversity and inclusion discussion um, that cities should be diverse, but they need to be inclusive. And so, do you do you think that actually we will fundamentally change how we look at cities going forward? I'd like to think we do, and we've got a double whammy at the moment. Not only are we dealing with the pandemic but there are protests going on across the globe as a consequence of the terrible killing of George Floyd. So not only have we got the inequality that has been revealed through the pandemic in sharp focus, but we're being made to face our ongoing racial inequality too. Therefore, I think inclusion is going to be absolutely off the rise of the agenda further for many more people than, than hitherto. But the problem is that quite often people attack this as a nice icing on the cake approach to inclusion. And the they seem to take an easy low hanging fruit way out of it. So we need to go deep 
really deep and we have to think structurally about what it is that is going wrong and has been going wrong for many decades in our society and that's hard but we shouldn't dodge it we have to tackle incredibly systemic issues some of that is the responsibility of the government but some of it has to be done from a whole range of sectors working together outside of the ordinary systems. And, and then um, one of the things that, that I've been looking at recently and I actually wrote an article about recently was how the real estate sector can actually assist in this and actually learn the lessons perhaps that lockdown um, has given us. So taking some positives out of it rather than just negatives. Um, so for example, the rough sleepers, uh, the fact that the initiative over the lockdown period has taken rough sleepers off the streets. How can we continue that? So what would you, if I was to say to you, um, what would you like your two or three major points you would take away from this period? What do you think they would be? I want people to really look at the way people live and want to live in London, Sarah. Understand the lived experience of the places we are building, the ecology of those places, so where we're only partly responsible for shaping but making sure whether we're building neighbourhoods that are good and easy and enjoyable to live in. And don't take for granted what we as a property sector are giving to people and whether it's what people really need or want. And let's think about the cause and effect of the built environment and the quality of people's lives by truly understanding what it takes to live a life well in London so that the developments that we're creating is not actually undermining the, the quality of life of the, of the very people we're seeking to, to be building these places for. That's really about knowing the neighbourhoods, knowing the people that we're building for, making sure that we're creating places that where their kids can feel good in a safe environment. And I think from your perspective now, looking looking forward and looking, looking past, hopefully, the, the lockdown and, and the COVID period, what are your next steps for London 3.0? So we're going to continue with the work that's been ongoing with the dialogues, which bring in together the public, the private sector, people from the cultural sector, voluntary organisations, a whole host of people to explore London in all its glory where the pressure points are and what we should be doing about them. You know, it, London 3.0 is harking back to what we did 20 years ago when we looked at London and decided what we wanted to do about it. And we took really innovative entrepreneurial approaches to solve problems like establishing the business improvement district movement. So that for me is where we need to head next in understanding what the issues are and figuring out creatively what we're going to do about them. And you know, consider what how we support the leadership and the task ahead. If you think about local authorities and what the local authorities have to do on a daily basis, it's an incredibly complex world that they're operating in. So how do we pull together as new public-private partnerships to actually sustain the London that we want to have, built on a vision that we come up with during this period of reflection. And I think finally, I think it, it was it just interesting what you just said there about public-private partnerships, because public-private partnerships has often been an overused word, perhaps. 
um, without people necessarily really understanding what what proper public private partnership means. Um, and uh, we, we were speaking on one of one of these with Pete Gladwell from LNG earlier, and they he's, he was saying is that you know if the, people have got to understand that a partnership actually is a partnership. It's not one party dictating to the other. Do you think that there will be more of these as we go forward? Um, looking at London, looking at the Greater London, looking at how we need to, what we need to now do, that there'll be more of that genuine collaboration. And to a certain extent, Zara, I'd like to think there might be less of them because one of the things that has happened over the past 20 years, like placemaking, partnership has become a bit of a devalued world. If you put a couple of sectors in the room, you say you've got a partnership and a partnership is for life, not just for a project. You have to work really hard at actually understanding the needs and the perspectives of the people who are sitting around the table and it's it's in a relationship and ecology that has to be built over time and and sustained not just taken for granted so i think we've become lazy in public private partnerships and one of the at my sort of driving forces behind starting london 3.0 is to help us rethink what that compact should look like and create truly meaningful public-private partnerships that um, does involve common cause and know how we're going to work together and have the honesty to, to call each other out and then use that honesty and that sense of shared purpose to build the trust that we need to, to really make this make a difference. Thank you, Pat. And that's been really, really interesting. Um, and, and I. I hope you're right. I hope that we can come out of this period in a better place and we can actually relook at our cities and particularly and from this point of view from London um, and genuinely actually take the best of it um, and try and, and try and be much more inclusive than perhaps we have been in the past. So thank you very much for your time and we really appreciate it. Thank you, Sarah. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Trowers and Hamlins. Find us at trowers.com and join in the conversation on Twitter at Trowers, or find us on LinkedIn and Instagram.